This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hi everybody, welcome back to the Every Step Along the Way podcast. Uh, good to see you again. Now, uh, tonight we're back with some very familiar faces. Um, I mean, wouldn't be a pod without Mr. Dan Buxton. Uh, Dan, how are you? I'm very good, thank you very much, mate. Um, yeah, we've uh, sort of had a bit of a bit of a week off, haven't we, from these? And uh, yeah, we had to we had to do something last week, so we sort of reviewed the last game, didn't we, just to keep ourselves ticking over. And, we did. Uh, yeah, a nice, um, nice event last night, which has filled the gap at the beginning of this one for us. Yeah, it's a bit rubbish when there's uh, international football, isn't there? But never mind, never mind. We'll be back to the, the good stuff soon. Um, and I said uh, familiar voices, because there's more than one. Uh, ben Rowley, welcome back to the pod. Hello, mate. Um, I'm not going to lie. It was a four-hour round trip for me last night, so I'm shattered. But <laughs> worth it. Worth it just to hear Lucas Yeoman screw up live on air. It was funny. It was good. Yeah, and you know what? He he played it off very nicely as well. He did. He was excellent, to be fair, yeah. It was very well run, actually, for the majority. It was just that bit at the end. Yeah, yeah, and people kept dropping glasses all over the floor, which, and yeah, I must admit, the, the, the pictures that were going off at the side of the stage as well must have been really distracting. Constant flash, 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 just so they can get something for the Sentinel or Radio Stoke to use or whatever. Um but I felt for him because it was constantly in the face. Get paid the big bucks, you can have a few flashes. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah, take that how you want. I thought I'd just leave that there and leave it open. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, we've said international football, so there's not another three points to review, unfortunately. Um, it won't be a boring pod. There's still a lot to break down. So we're obviously going to break down the meeting uh, that happened. We have um, audio clips from that meeting that we're going to uh, chuck in as well so we can discuss uh, not everything because it was a good, what, 55 minutes or 57 minutes if you uh, if you listen to Lucas's version. Um, and then, obviously, you know, we're going to be announcing the winner of the Eric Skills signed book. So that will be happening towards the end. And for complete transparency, I will be sharing my screen and Ben will be witnessing the winner. So nobody can contact me and say it wasn't fair. Um, And of course, we have uh, another three points to get into this weekend uh, when we take on Coventry. Before we get into that, I think we've kind of 
skirted around it a little bit already, but um, Dan, kicking off with you, what did you think of the actual meeting as a whole the other day? Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I think it was nice to to sort of hear, obviously, the, the three of them speak. Um, you hear various bits for obviously we hear Neil on a weekly basis, don't you? Um, you know, don't particularly hear a lot from John publicly, um, so it's nice to sort of interact and and sort of see that, you know, his thoughts on a lot of issues uh, there, and and obviously with Ricky as well. Um, he's come in and his sort of vision as well was sort of put across wanted of you know what he's there for and where he hopes you know what he's hoping to do going forward and assist obviously Neil and John Alex Neil sorry and John in that so yeah um, yeah, I thought it was well worth doing put it that way I think one of the lines I really liked was living Davida Stoker which um, <laughs> I'll be honest I actually must have been asleep on that one because I don't remember people saying that or whether that's him trying to force his himself a little catchphrase in. I'm not quite sure, but uh, it was uh, yeah, it was, it was good meeting. Uh, you're right, very eye opening. We'll we'll get into it. Um, ben, you were very much uh, alongside yourself, mate. You were at the very very front row. Uh, did you enjoy it? Yeah, I mean, like I've been pushing for these things for a while now since we've come down to the championship, especially. Um, I know COVID's not helped. Um, I do remember we did have one that was sort of streamed, wasn't it? I think mm-hmm. uh, John T did it, and and it was actually really well run. And I, w- I wish we'd have done more of these because I can completely see how people think that they're quite wishy-washy and they're quite you know corporate and they're clearly there to make fans happier. I get it, but if you could if you can brush past all the jargon and all the things they have to say and if you look into the little bits and bobs some of them which we'll go into i know we are um and and how they say things and how they come across and you know the way they interacted with with people even even after the show was done just talking to fans at the end it was just nice and it's just nice to know that there's human beings at the top of your football club and they're not just robots or a, a mystery man with money or you know it it's just reassuring and nice to see and it makes you feel just naturally gravitate them towards them a little bit more like you you just have a bit more sympathy for them you root for them a little bit more because you know them um or you feel like you know them anyway i i i think they're really important and i think it was quite well run last night some good questions in there um you know like i say little tidbits here and there that, that were really interesting and um makes me certainly more positive anyway yeah i, I think they you're right i think they kind of they, they come across well because i think Day to day, all you basically get from the club normally, and understandably, every club's the same, is that you know there's there's maybe one little video that goes on the Stoke website or maybe YouTube uh, from various different capacities. But you know, Alex Neil, you see him, you know, at the press conference, and then you see him after the game. Pretty much, that's it. Um, Ricky Martin has, does nothing in terms of the, the videos. I know we did that strategy, which was great to see um, a month or two back. But other than that, you know, he just gets on with his job. And John, like you know, like Dan said, John is and the whole family are very quiet. Um, but that's because they value their privacy and they don't feel they have to come out and say something every week, which. That's fine for me. Keep signing the checks, you know, keep keep back in the club, back in the managers. Um, you know, we've talked about, you know, good and bad things that people think they've done over time. 
try and learn from mistakes and you know, find ways forward. And that's all I want from an owner. I don't need him to be in front of the cameras every week. If it's fair, if he's in front of the cameras every week, it's probably a problem. Um, so I don't see that as an issue whatsoever. Um, I think Alex Neal comes across, and the more I listen to him, he just comes across as such a likable bloke. Like, and one thing, if you want, if I can take anything out of the night, was when people think that a manager just chooses the team and you know makes substitutions and goes and signs players. You really understand just how much he has to do, which you never dream of, um, and the importance of having a good structure, a good direction and strategy um, as a club for me. I think it just showed the importance of that. So um, let's kind of kick off with the first clip. So uh, we've got about seven different clips actually I've broken down here, but let's kick off with the first one. So um, this one was all about uh, the priorities for the summer, which obviously was always going to be asked. So uh, let's have a quick listen to this one. What do you see as a priority? Can I put that to you first, Alex? Yeah, well, I think what we've managed to do since January is we've managed to create like a sort of culture and an understanding of how we work. I think the guys who have come in and contributed to that, what you don't want to do is every window is have to sort of wipe that clean and start from scratch. So I think it's vitally important that we start from a sort of solid foundation, a solid platform. So I think I'd be right in saying that our preference and our priority immediately um, once the window opens was to try and secure some of the lads we've currently got in the building who I think have performed extremely well certainly over the last sort of, six to eight weeks and then that gives us a strong platform to then go and add what we need to make sure going into next season we're in a really good place but they, they guys in particular um, albeit it doesn't mean that we're not looking elsewhere we're not looking to add but I think currently sort of keeping what we've got we know where we want to take the squad and they guys are going to be key for that and Ricky, I imagine that's a conversation that you're having as well uh, between yourself and Alex planning ahead all the time. Yeah, it is exactly that. And there's a lot of moving parts, certainly for the players that we've got currently in on loan. Um, but then discussions are taking place and they're playing very well. Uh, sometimes you could say they're playing too well. Um, they're, they're, they're performing, and they're going away, but also they're redeveloping. And I think that's something that we can add, that we've given them an opportunity, we've given them a platform. And they're looking to redevelop and they're really buying into what we're doing at the moment. So, um, yeah, we're, we're confident that we're going to um, look to be aggressive in the market at the end of the season. Um, and we, we would like to uh, secure some of the players that we currently got. Uh, I'm not going to give a number, I can't give you names um, because we're not in that position at the moment. But, um, yeah, we certainly want to look to recruit with uh, players we currently got, but also look to uh, look at the market, what's available in the summer. So, boys, um, overarching kind of comment on that one was obviously we want to sign the loans. Now, I think we've all kind of looked at it since January and gone, right, these players are doing really, really well. We can bring out names, you know, Smallbone, uh, Hoover, Sterling, Pearson, Axel. You know, there's there's a number of them. I think it was interesting at least to hear it from the horse's mouth, wouldn't you say, Ben, that, you know, they clearly want to sign those players and that's the bedrock of what our summer business is going to be and then we will plug gaps around it that's kind of how it came across to me yeah me too um i think 
what I took away from listening to it, and I think a couple of other people have as well, having you know read back on social media today. I think we're going to come on to finances and stuff maybe later, but we were always going to um, have a bit more freedom this coming summer to sign players. You know, didn't have to be free transfers and loans exclusively this time. Um, but it sounds like we might be tempted to spend just a little bit more than we normally would have done based off what we've seen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to feel about that, <laughs> to be honest. Um, don't be wrong, it's, it's, it's great in one sense because it's ambitious, it's commitment, and hopefully, you know, re-signing these players will prove to be a good move. If we can sign most of the lone players, you would think that we might be able to perform just as well next season, even with a couple of additions on top. <laughs> Having said that, and I'm, I'd like to think that we've learned from our mistakes, but you never know. Um, I don't want so overspending again to the point where, say, if we think next season is the one, if we spend, you know, we'd have to spend 40 million, but say if we spend a few million over, and I don't want to go into next season, or the season after that and the season after that and going, we've got to trim back on the FFP again, boys. Um, whether they're more encouraged by, you know, the white paper, whether they're more encouraged by, you know, maybe more handouts from the Premier League, maybe they're encouraged, maybe more by just general revenue they're going to be able to make next season through potentially a fan zone or something like that. You know, other ways of making money because uh, that will all, all count towards how much we can spend. It sounds like this last month in March has gone so well, we're going to be spending even more money. Uh, so <laughs> let, let, let's hope it works out, yeah? I was going to say, there's a lot of ifs, ifs, ifs and blue sky thinking and crystal ball gazing there by the looks of it. I think it'd be a bit of a gamble if they're going to be like, if we get a fan zone, if we make this money, um, you know, season tickets, if we sell this many, we'll get this money. I mean, I know they they've got a gambling company right so maybe it's just their mentality uh but I, i'm with you i mean dan oh, yeah, I, hang on go on people the people owning gambling companies get rich by not gambling <laughs> exactly however yeah, look what happened to us five years ago yeah that, well that's uh, what we've we've said haven't we it's taken us so long to recover from the rowett splurge that we don't want to now that's all sort of seems to have uh, you know subsided and passed the last thing you want to do is just repeat the whole thing as if you've not learned a single lesson from last time yeah if you've got the players there and um the, the thing as well was that Rowett spent a lot of money on players who were maybe at an age where they didn't have any salon value and maybe if you are looking at a Will Smallbone, a Dujon Sterling, uh, even a, a who, uh, you know, Henry getting you know, Keanu Hoover in, um, they're all early 20s. So if in two, three years' time, if you brought them, say, you spend, I don't know, £5 million on Will Smallbone, if that's what it takes to get him out of Southampton, and he doesn't perform greatly, you would still hope to maybe claw something back in a couple of years' time. Whereas I don't think that was the case, was it, with um, people like Tomins, for example, or um, even a phobie. You know, they were getting on sort of later 20s where people wouldn't, at this level, wouldn't be prepared to pay money for them two, three years after we signed them. You mentioned, you know, small bone there. Um, 
I've I'm very quickly falling into the camp of I don't think we're going to be able to get him over the line, and I, I like to be positive. And I think with Ben Pearson, I think no matter what Bournemouth do, I think he will come here because he likes the manager. Bournemouth haven't given him a chance, even if they get relegated, he will probably kick up a fuss and want to go. So I've got no worries about him. I believe um, his wife still living up here as well. Oh, his there you go and then. Wife. Mm. There you go then. So like there's no issues on that money wise Bournemouth will not be paying him a lot of money I reckon he'll probably barely have to take any pay cut to join us personally I would be surprised so I think we'll be fine on that one um, Axel there's clearly going to be I think a few people after him as they may actually be for Ben Pearson but Axel very interestingly obviously he's the one that came out in the papers um, a lot during the week so I think it's probably easy to say that that has been dropped in there by somebody some agent or someone to to kind of filter that in but i would expect we will be at least in a strong position to get him um but there will be a lot of people there's a, there's a few man united fans that that i work with and they've seen him uh, in in the bits obviously pre-injury but they've seen him and said he is he's a real handful if he can keep him fit he will be one of the best defenders in the, in the league so Again, someone else to look at. But I think Will Smallbone is my only concern. If Southampton go down, well, there's your ready-made midfielder ready to go. If they stay up, they're going to try and take us to the cleaners and there'll be other clubs maybe coming down from the Premier League who will sign in with more money, both in wages and transfer fees. So that's my only worry with him. Uh, And the others, we'll see. I think you mentioned last week, Dan, that, you know, I think uh, obviously Henry, what was it, nine million quid from Liverpool they signed him for. They're not just going to wipe their hands and you know, have him for a million. They're not going to do that. So it's there's a lot of it. If, well for us. Yeah, exactly. And then what, what does he do? He goes on TV, you know, literally back-to-back games, scores three goals. So everybody else is all, all of a sudden seeing that I'm gone. We play, we might play a, a wing-back formation or whatever we want to do. That'd be perfect for us. And again, we might have pockets, but if we want a striker or two, well, they ain't going to come cheap either. So it's going to be a, a lot of wheeling and dealing. Um, without a shadow of a doubt for me. The next one that we were talking about was um, basically asked a question around the investment strategy from the family over the next three to five years. Um, so obviously an important uh, topic as well. With the change in how the club's financial affairs are regulated, how do you foresee the investment strategy from your family over the next three to five years? Well, I, I, I think it's probably worth clarifying that there has been no changes yet to the financial regulations. So what, what many people have read about is obviously the, the government have produced a white paper. Now, the white paper is the kind of the first stage to, 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 to new law and new regulation. Uh, so it's an important step. If you look at the white paper in, in terms of both Tracy Crouch's final review and the white paper, they're both pretty scathing on in terms of profit and sustainability. They don't see that as the right um, financial regulation going forward. So let's see how that develops. It hasn't changed yet. Uh, secondly, the other route to change in the financial regulation is, as you'll probably read about, there are some talks going on with regards to redistribution uh, prior to a regulator coming in between the Premier League and the EFL. Now, 
within that may well come a change in financial regulation. So, so there are kind of two routes to change, uh, but it hasn't changed yet. Coming to the question about investments and uh, the plan, uh, clearly we've already gone out with um, the, the five-year plan, which we're a year into now, in terms of the investment going into both the stadium and the training grounds. Uh, now, uh, that was originally trailed as a £20 million investment over those five years. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, I was speaking to Richard Smith, who's just over there, actually, um, um, this week, I think, um, or late last week. Uh, that, become bigger somehow. It's, uh, uh, it's become bigger, it's become more ambitious, that's quite exciting, but I'm not going to talk about it in this forum. Uh, I think the team and maybe even Richard will be talking about that slide today, but there's some really strong investment coming there. Then in terms of investments in the team and everything else, look, all I can say is, I think, the last 15, 16 years, we've invested in over 330 million in the club. I can only tell you that our passion for the club remains the same. Uh, you know, we just want the club to be successful, and uh, that's what we'll be focused on. So, Dan, 330 million quid they've invested. Um, more to come was the, the word that he, he, he used. Um, pretty positive. They will always back the manager. Um, we hope they've learned lessons on strategy, like you mentioned, about signing overage players for too much money. Um, what would you kind of take out from, from that particular one? Uh, they aren't going anywhere, are they? Which is good to hear. I don't think anybody wants... Um... Yeah, I think there's yes a, a small minority. I think of the, of the fan base of sort of you know said they want sort of new owners or whatever. And I, I think they've proven that financially they've always backed the club so far, and that will continue going forward. Um, with the way that obviously Ricky's come in and everything, and the restructuring, the new restructuring behind the scenes, and uh, the different roles that are coming up, it looks like there is more like definite positions for people so um, there's not as much responsibility on one head it maybe was in when Tony Scholes was here that there was more widespread responsibility from a lot of angles coming into one or two people I think now it's sort of spread out a bit more um, and you've got the opportunity there to put people give people their sort of expertise haven't you and obviously if they're going to invest in that as invest in you know people who are great in a certain area then like I say you go it's it's only stands good for the club um but yeah 330 million massive amount um we certainly I've certainly very much doubt we would have had 10 years in the uh, the Premier League without them so yeah you can only you can you can only really thank them for that and hope that you know, these last few years when we have had struggles and and decisions have sort of backfired that they, like you say you've learned, they've learned from what has happened and, and don't repeat them again. I think there was concerns when Peter sort of took a step back and John came into the frame that people were worried that you know Peter was the fan and that John wasn't really that bothered mm. um, 
from the way that he speaks about Stoke, it it can't be less true. Um, he cares. <laughs> He's a proper fan. Um, yeah. I think the whole family are by the sounds of it. They're Stoke nuts. Um, that can come back to bite you. Of course it can. I think we've had that evidence actually um, over the last few years. Sometimes, um, you know, you can plow money into something and, and not really get anywhere. And but on the other hand. I think you're right. You can make mistakes. Anyone can make a mistake in the way that you approach things. And maybe they were desperate to get back to the Premier League. They've they've taken accountability for that, haven't they? They they paid for their mistakes. Where we've seen other owners, you know, not pay debts back or not written off loans, or even in West Brom's case, taken loans out of the club. <laughs> you know, they the, they are losing money with their owner in charge. Derby, Wigan, not paying their players. Huddersfield having, having to be sold to an American investor. That's not going to happen to Stoke. And we're also just quite lucky that their pockets are possibly the deepest in the country. Um, it's a shame they can't spend it. <laughs> Definitely from their point of view, it's a shame. But they they care. They're not going anywhere. And it's it's good to see that they're not just investing in the first team they are investing in and around the club they said the stadium plan investment is going up significantly as well look what they've done with the women um they care they absolutely care and that's that's all i want really yeah there's there's an element of i think their heart has ruled their head sometimes um and you know they've just wanted to to back whatever manager wherever they physically can and maybe they shouldn't have done some deals but they they trust the manager uh, and that's the educational piece um but you're right i think without them we'd be we'd be in trouble but alternatively if they could spend whatever they wanted to i am convinced we'd be back in that premier league by now because they would have been able to spend their way out of it um and obviously we we paid the price but we turned a corner um and uh we talk about you know our ambitions as uh, as as fans but uh one of the main ambitions was uh, one of the questions that was asked as well um in relation to uh 13th place and what john thought so we'll have a quick listen to this bit i remember being sat in this room in the summer and we were talking about potentially pushing for promotion we're 13 and that is the highest I think we've been this season but we've had as good a month in March as we've had possibly since we've been in the championship. John, how do you think this season's gone for us? I'd be rather than going out with 13. Yeah, so 13 is not where I want to be or where you want to be. Yeah, I'm done. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. What I will say, Stephen, is I am genuinely very positive about the future. Yeah, I believe uh, on the pitch and off the pitch we've made key appointments. I think we've strengthened um, uh, the, 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 the management team, uh, brought in good people. Uh, I think we've brought in good people uh, alongside me here with both Ricky and Alex. Uh, I think you've seen during the transfer window in January that there was a more positive feel to that. And I think you've seen some of the results start with the players we brought in. Uh, and I also think you're starting to see now 
the way Alex can shape a squad and also how he can get them playing. And so I absolutely acknowledge we're in the 13th and that's disappointing and I'm disappointed with that. But I have a genuine excitement about the future. So you might have recognised that voice. Um, ben Rowley, that was your question. Or was it? Well, it was Ben Rowley's question, yes. Um, <laughs> put it this way. Um, there was a little bit of a mix-up um, as to which Ben Rowley that was. Um, <laughs> I, having uh, semi-regular contacts with the owner, possibly wouldn't ask such a harsh question. And I certainly reworded it from the harsh question that I was asked to ask uh, by Radio Stoke. But hey, um, John took it really well. Um and you can clearly see, again, that he's not happy with how things have gone. He wants us to be up there, right? And that's fine. Um, maybe at the start of the season, was it ambitious, considering what we'd seen towards the end of the last season? I think possibly. But as we'll come yeah. on to with, you know, ambition and how important it is to have that, um, he does seem very positive this time. And, and I think there is... Uh, there's tangibility to it this time. There's reason to be cheerful. Um, it's not just seen on the pitch, um, but you know, he said there he thinks he's brought in good people. I think they have as well. Um, the way that Ricky was speaking about, you know, interlinking departments, it almost sounds stupid to me that they weren't before. Um, <laughs> having him as like the, the the footballing director and you've got Simon who I think is really good as well as the non-footballing director takes the weight off John's shoulders um, I can't imagine how much responsibility Tony's goals had and how much that must have impacted and probably why off the field got so little attention in the last few years because he was so busy with on the pitch responsibilities I think it's so much better this way Alex Neal said on the stage, I don't deal with agents. So there needed to be someone at the club who did. Um, yeah, look, I I can fully get behind what we're doing this time. Um, it, it might take a couple of seasons, as Alex said. Um, but hey, I think we we may end up going somewhere with this this time. Like, sort of ben summed it up pretty well, <laughs> to be I honest. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there's not really much else to say. Uh, yeah, the band yeah. Is, is that the nail on the head? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, th- I thought you were going to say that. Man. You, you did a really good job then. Well, well done, Ben. Um, I was like, I'm trying to think of something. I'm like, I just pretty much took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you know, I, and it's funny about the about the question, but um, as you say, in absolute fairness to like Radio Stoke, they, they know a Ben Rowley, which is you, and it's just sod's law that... Ben Rowley was standing in front of them as a Ben Rowley question was down that like anyone would have made the assumption right <laughs> so if Ben Rowley is listening and that was your question and you recognised it get in touch yeah. and I hope I didn't butcher it too much for you imagine that imagine that so the Ben Rowley who wrote that question hears someone say we have a question now from Ben Rowley and then you read that question out <laughs> he's thinking hey that's, he that's must my... be gutted to be fair. And he's sat him. behind he you. Be he was thinking that he's watching Saturday watching it on YouTube, wasn't he? Thinking, <laughs> that, that's my question. Bless him. And they said they've just gone to me. That's not me. <laughs> I never to the floor. He must like have that. he must have pooed himself when they were coming over to the microphone with that. <laughs> 
Parker just about to feel sat behind you as well. I was like, uh, uh, uh. Oh, well, sorry, sorry, John. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh god, but yeah, you, that's great. You gotta love, gotta love that. Um, now uh, we've talked about obviously players coming in, but uh, the next one was actually about a player going out. Um, so Joe Bursic obviously left in January, um, and somebody kind of questioned uh, whether that was the the right deal and also whether it's necessary. So uh, let's have a quick listen to that one. Uh, yourself, Alex. What was the rationale behind the sale of Joe Bursic, obviously to Club Rouge? Um, yeah, I think it was one of the ones where we went under the window. We had a deficit. We had to basically tighten at the window. And I think at that team, George dropped out of the team. And we wanted to ensure that we got the funds in without jeopardising the start of the lesson in terms of the first team. And naturally, when you're making any sale, you can only sell assets, can you? So you can only sell people that somebody's want to buy. So naturally, we'd want to sell somebody who's maybe, I don't know, in the late 30s. And we could get money in for them, but unfortunately that's never going to be the case. So the sale of Joe Bursic at that point was to plug the sort of financial gap, shall we say, because there was absolutely no guarantee they had a had a sort of deal going through at any stage right up until the end. So anybody that suggests that we knew that Leicester were going to come in or we knew that this was going to happen is, is, is untrue. You know, that, that literally was what the last 24 or 48 hours at the window that that started to come into motion and at that point we'd got a duty of care to the club beforehand to make sure that we didn't leave ourselves uh, in a vulnerable position so that, that, was, uh, that was the key decision behind that sale. So Dan, we had to um, sell Joe basically because of FFP, which uh, I think we'll be so glad to stop talking about bloody FFP for once next year but um Harry's deal, yeah, they didn't know until 48 hours before the end, but um, we had to sell him in the end. Do you think that was probably the, the right move? And I'd probably argue that from a financial perspective, yes. From what we have as alternatives, maybe not. Uh, yeah, what I took from that was that maybe Alex Neal didn't go into January thinking, right, I'm going to sod this keeper off to wherever I can get rid of him to. I don't think he had that approach at all. He sounded like, he, like he said, your assets, you can only sell your assets. You can only yeah. sell things other people want to buy. And so obviously that, you know, obviously he considered Joe an asset. You could get some money, however much money that was. Um, 300,000, yeah. 300, I believe. It was interesting though that, like you say, that we went into that month with a deficit like if Club Bruges hadn't come in with that who you know what if nobody else did <laughs> and what if the yeah. high suit you know, what if high suitor had picked up a, an injury and been out for six weeks and so the last deal never happened I mean would they have been like literally just scrambling around passing players like you know would you, would you like him would you like Jacob Brown how about Tyrese Campbell <laughs> and you Nick might Powell. have had kids for a quid I think yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um, get, get, fill the ground with kids for a quid but then put the food up sky high because the kids will need the food when they get there so. well, Del, no higher please mate it's expensive enough <laughs> that's a chat for a different day though isn't it but yeah um, 
you're right. It, it's interesting because, like, like I say, the, I remember seeing numbers flying around at the time, uh, and I'm pretty sure for for him it was a really low figure. I think it was, like I say, it was only about 300k. It wasn't much. Um, and for a keeper who was rated at 10 million pound about 18 months yeah, ago. Yeah, exactly. So. It also says that we were not far away. So if you take that into consideration, the fact we've got obviously then the the money, of course, uh, for our well, what was our big defender um, is obviously very much gone in suits. So we that's where the whole thought process I think around we're going to have a lot of money to spend obviously comes from. And then of course the the wipes kind of almost you know the slate's almost wiped clean. So you can understand why we think we've got loads of money uh, to spend. But yeah, Joe. He had so much potential. Who knows? Maybe he can reignite his career a little bit. Uh, I mean, for his sake, I hope he does. I think he was just a, a fragile keeper at the wrong time uh, for us. I think there is a good goalkeeper in there. I really do. Um, so maybe we'll see him back when we're in uh, Europe in a couple of years' time. You're so young for a goalkeeper, though, aren't you? I mean, yeah. A lot of goalkeepers at his age now are still... You're trying to break through into getting regular first team football. He was thrust into a position he probably wasn't quite, you know, physically, mentally ready for due to necessity, due to a ridiculous injury crisis at the time. And then from that, he performed quite well. And then the pressure then was well, why why do you want to send him back out on loan again? Look how well he's been playing. But then that initial run sort of, you know, never really got repeated or there was mistakes in there and then he also had a manager in Michael O'Neill who was quite happy to swap goalkeepers after a couple of mistakes and that doesn't well there's probably a reason why the majority of managers don't do that Okay, um, and we talked to Dan, well, I think Ben actually mentioned it, uh, just about kind of things like identity. Um, now, obviously, one thing that I think we've all kind of said is, or for a few years, what the hell is our identity? Are we a ball-passing team? Are we a wing-back team? Are we flat-back four? Do we press high? Do we sit back? We haven't got a blinking clue. It's like doing the okie-cokie and turning around, in it? You know what I mean? It's absolutely no clue half the time. But um, obviously, Alex was, was asked around um, identity as well. I think, seeing over your recruitment players, I think one thing in my experience that I want to know is what your aspirations are. You know, if your aspirations are to be successful, get out of the league, there's going to be financial commitment there, there's going to be commitment in the fact that we're going to strengthen the squad. I think that's the biggest thing that we can bring to any aspiring players that want to come here and be successful. Because our aim, we spoke earlier about being 13th, our aim is to get out of the league. I mean, there's no qualms about that, so I don't sit here and say, well, give me five years and I'll try and get it right some point. I mean, next year you want to try and be at the top end of the table, certainly competing whether you get out automatically or in playoffs, but you be as close to that as we can. And if it's not next year, certainly the year after, but we want to try and get out of the league as quick as we can. That's that's the aim. There's got to be and that sounds obvious was what the players want to hear that that motivation and confidence to an extent as well. The fact is, if we sign really good players that are capable of competing at top in this division and not without they're going to compete in the next division, then there's absolutely no reason why that can't be the case. You know, and I think we've already showed signs in the last window and some of the players we've recruited. And also, the, the, the players we've got in the building, you know, I think the guys have performed extremely well who had already been here permanently. They've been performing really well in the last sort of six to eight weeks and sporadically through other parts of the season as well. So I think there's a lot to be optimistic about. I think the one thing I'd say about that one that I that I personally took lads was is again 
this is where he, he started to really like get my attention in terms of again how he was being very very relatable you know he's he's clearly seen that the players and the fans have started to come back together again which is no mean feat at this club because we 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 lose we get very disillusioned very quickly i find um you know certain groups certainly do and you know it it's a lot easier to break up this fan base than it is to get them together and i think what he has proven is by having that identity the high press you know we can to a certain extent, relate to the people on the pitch. We can back the people on the pitch. And that's something like I said, we've not been able to do that for a long, long time. So that's kind of what I took out of, of that is that he wants to forge that kind of identity. Um, did you kind of feel similar, Ben? I think he was he was quite clear, but very, very well spoken about it. For me, I wish I'd have had a little bit of a stronger message from him. Um, don't be wrong. I, I like the fact that he wants his teams to be aggressive was his word and a willingness to win another one and um he's right when he says um you know there is a relationship between fans and and players again um you know he referred to the norwich game i think where he 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 loved the fact that we didn't win but we you know the fans stayed at the end and cut the players off but there was a game before that i think it was during february i think where like um the fans stay behind and clapped despite us losing and if you cast our mind back to preston where we lost in the last minute and you had the players getting told they're not fit to wear the shirt you know that was only two months before that it's a far cry away isn't it um I can see what his identity may be, um, but I think the important thing behind having one or saying what what your identity is is because when you go down on a match day and you see your team do something, you, like like some some people don't like passing around the back, um, and if we're not supposed to be passing around the back, if 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 Alex Neal is telling our players just to get rid of it, we should be harassing our players, say get it up, get it up, um, but. If it, if we're supposed to be patient, if we're supposed to be, you know, a slower tempo or, or you know, passing out from a goal kick, we can't have the fans going and moaning because the manager wants us to do that. So I, I, again, I would like to see a bit of a stronger message from him in the future about, you know, what what he wants us to get behind and what he doesn't. Because um, I think sometimes getting on the players' backs can be a good thing at times I think we've seen it before it's sort of the kick up the arse they need sometimes but at the same time not to put them down for things that the manager wants them to do it's um, the age old um, question about do you boo players when they play badly yeah it, it is and I, I think we've seen both sides we've seen the side where um, we've got angry at the players, scoffed at them, booed at them, and they've come from 1-0 down to win 2-1 just to say, ah, but we, we've got to pull our socks up here. We've seen it, maybe earlier on in our championship days. Um, but we've also seen the team that, you know, is trying their best despite what the managers tell them to do, and we're booing them anyway. And they get disheartened. So, um, that, I think, having a clearer identity will go a long way to the fans having more patience in the long term. So as Ben alluded to, then we've got there is you know certain styles that does get more sort of moans and groans from the from the stands, and I think you know uh, 
a, a rather successful predecessor to Alex Neal and Tony Pius cottoned on to the fact that the supporters in the main will get behind the team that shows energy and fight and and press and you know, pressure on the opposition and I think we he's seen that in the past few weeks when we've gone to this sort of high press um you know pushing up the midfield the the attackers are all putting the effort in and I think uh, or not, I say that like they don't these were before. They of course would have been put in after before, but they've been directed to channel it in a different way. And I think the way that we've been playing recently is definitely a way that gets on board with the the, the general Stoke crowd and will get them behind them. And like you say, if they didn't beat Norwich, they still got applauded off, and that is probably an eye opener in recent times to what this crowd respond well to. And that's funny because that doesn't all that's not necessarily something that would um appease fans. Say for example, uh and obviously the, the antithesis of how we play in, in Arsenal. Um you know, their crowd there if they had a team that that oh yeah well they they run around a lot but in this game they didn't really create very much would they applaud them off? No, they want you know, they are used to going and paying their big bucks to sit and watch the pretty triangles and passing football that we've been attempting to maybe play in the last couple of years and not being obviously that successful. It's not not found that connection with the fan base about it. Um so yeah, I think for this club, definitely the identity that is probably the most successful to go with is the one that he's probably aiming for now. Well, I'm going to skip ahead, uh, actually, to, to the very last one, uh, to be honest with you. So um, I thought, well, let's, let's finish on this one because it was quite amusing. Uh, a little lad, I think, again, I've gone off memory, I think he said he was about 12 years old or something like that, um, asked him, what did he say about uh, Sunderland beforehand, which I thought was quite amusing. What exactly did you say to the players before kick-off at Sunderland? <laughs> I don't think we need to know what you said before, it's what you said after it. That makes it insane, I really wish I could give you like a sort of top top speech and sort of blow everybody away. Unfortunately that wasn't the case. Um, I, I just think leading up to that game, I think players nowadays they're so exposed to social media and what people say about things, you know, that we've been brought up in that sense, whereas unfortunately like a dinosaur now my days were before that. So seem to know the, the importance of the game prior to the game. You know, they spoke about it more than I did. Um, and I think just leading up to that match, I think they understood the importance purely because of the dynamics and, and obviously how things transpired. And what I was really pleased with was their determination to win that match. I mean, and don't get me wrong, I, I do feel the same with like, every game that we play, but I just think obviously that that one did carry a slightly different twist than, than most. Um, but I think players probably knew for me obviously I don't really read or listen to people give me sticks or I'm but I'm not naive to the fact that I'm not to get saved. Um and I think the players just wanted to go and prove a point really and, and they more did that so yeah, it was a really pleasing moment I think for everybody. <laughs> Uh, yeah, a very, uh, a very big round of applause uh, for that one. And you know, he, I don't know if he was just being a bit proud or a bit 
towing the party line, you know, the official line. But to say that he had no speech going into it or, you know, he didn't want to divulge what his team talk was or anything like that, saying that the players were fully aware of social media and stuff. Do you think that was true or do you think that, uh, have they just turned around and gone, this is our manager, we're not going to take any crap, right, let's go and do it for him? Or do you think that Alex was like, Luke, they give me a lot of stick here, I want to go and absolutely pummel them. Which way around do you think it was, guys? I think it's half true. <laughs> I think um, Neil clearly um, took a fair bit of satisfaction from the win, as you would do. But I think he's probably right. The players know they're not silly. I don't think he would have had to have said much. Um, they know that, you know, this is a huge game, and we've seen that. Stoke play up to the occasion probably always have done since I've been a fan anyway for the last 15 years or so um, we always seem to be able to do it in big moments and then we fall over to teams like Huddersfield and Blackpool and things like that um, so yeah look it just shows the character of the players if that is the case um, which is good because it has been questioned over the last few years whether they are motivated Um maybe it's a different motivator than what we'd like um and of course partially that that game was not lucky but i mean we we had a couple of tap-ins and and uh sunderland played into our hands a little bit as well um but hey they can bring expectation on themselves and you know that's that's a good sign of management to be honest it's it's good uh the longevity certainly well, we've been on the wrong side of ex-manager beatings in the past, so it was about time somebody else felt what we had to go through. Um, Dan, what was your observations from that? I mean, again, I think Ben's done a really good overview again, to be honest, but uh, any any thoughts from you on that? Yeah, yeah so, um, just just uh, like, like you said, um, he doesn't really, he didn't sort of hit the sort of the praise to himself he sort of like quite cleverly sort of diverted it and played it down and I think as well he's not daft he knew, he knew that that was being broadcast you know it's on the radio it's going to be on um, it was on YouTube it'll no doubt be clipped up left right and centre all over you know Radio Stoke and Stoke's you know Twitter for example and if he just sat there and said, yeah, I got the players right up for it because I really want to stick it up them, then <laughs> Sunderland fans, you know, it just ignites the whole thing again, doesn't it? And he probably wants to just, you know, put it in a box and put it away now. He's, he's probably at that stage. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden they become the rivals instead of Arsenal or Vale. It'll be Sunderland every time we speak to them. Yeah, yeah, I get it. But I, I agree that what you're saying about like attitudes as well. Like, I do think these players have a different mentality. They actually care, uh, which... Uh, I think you... they care for each other, you know. Yeah. I think they're quite a close group, I think. And I think as well that helps in the fact that it's quite a smaller squad than we've had for a long time. And I think for that case, they do sort of all work with each other and seem to get on quite well with each other. That is pretty much it for the clips. So before we kind of move on to the Coventry uh, preview, um, any final thoughts from the evening? Anything that you wanted to hopefully hear that you didn't hear? Any other kind of things that were mentioned that we haven't brought up? Um, I'll I'll give one slightly longer one and, and one really short one. Um, a slightly longer one being like, for you, Matt, that said the penny dropped. 
about you know when Alex was talking about identity for me it, it was when they were talking about why they need to be ambitious for next season and about you know it means that uh, you know we can bring in better players because there's no point you know telling a player that hey look we hope we're going to get promoted by the end of your contract but we're not going to guarantee it because we ain't going to be able to sign them <laughs> um, we might have told uh, the free agents and the loan players that for the last couple of years because realistically what chance do we have um, it would have been a bit of a miracle um but you know i think back to you know am, ambition was quite a, 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 a taboo word uh when we got relegated and anatovich left and hesse come in and um it sort of backfired us a little bit but i can see why we need to implement that strategy it's taken us five years and that's why these events are good <laughs> so that they can explain our methodology rather than just saying that we you know splurge money up the ball um I can sort of see why they had to go for that gamble. Um, and and my other point, I'll try and do this in a sentence. Um, we're clearly a much more connected, more efficient football club. And I think uh, the, the, the coach's money will be well spent this time if he's going to spend it. If they haven't learned by now, they never will. Um, so, yeah, 100%. Okay, so before we obviously move into the Coventry preview, uh, we've got a little bit of news um, that I think we've been, again, a bit more sleuthing on the audio front, uh, Dan, I believe. We have indeed. Um, So, you know, obviously, loanee roundups. I'd like to give you an update on how our young loanees are getting on. Uh, Tom Sparrow. So we've gone up to Hamilton. Um, Coincidentally, Alex Neal's first club in management. And a club I believe he still has close connection and uh, conversations with. The the directors and owners up there. Um, so this is Ben from Only Aki's. Um, fresh on the back of Hamilton's uh, victory in the Cup up there, the Challenge Cup. Um, he's, he's given us his thoughts on how Tom's getting on. Uh, so when Tom Sparrow was kind of linked to us and it was kind of first announced, obviously a young player, so nobody really knew anything about him. All the information we got was for like Stokes' website, looking up on Twitter, all the usual stuff. Um, when he first came in, he was played at right wing back of a back five. Um, he came right off the back of us signing another defender, so it meant we could go from a back four to a back five. So he came in at right wing back, and for the first two or three games, he was brilliant at right wing back, man. Um, Getting up and doing his deliveries into the box for wide areas were excellent. Um, we just didn't have a striker, or we don't have a striker to finish them, so he wasn't picking up assists or anything, but work rate and kind of being in at that right wing back position, I thought he was brilliant. Um, he then obviously picked up an injury, and we also signed Regan Tumulty, who is a kind of established right back at this level, in Scotland at least, so... He kind of, when he came back for injury, he wasn't straight back into the team because Regan Tumulty was here. And so it was, it's bit part appearances since then, um, mostly in midfield, um, coming off um, the bench, sorry, into into midfield. He started uh, against Air uh, in midfield and was subbed at half time. He's just, he's quiet in midfield, man. I don't know if it's um, the pace of the game uh, up here. I don't know if it's um, how physical it is. Maybe obviously he's still like he's still a young guy. Um, still needs to develop. So I don't know if it's it's a mix of that. But whenever he plays in midfield, he's not um, made the same impact as he had at right as he has a, a right back, right wing back. 
So whenever he comes in midfield, he's quite quiet. Um, but as I said, he's, he's still young. Uh, in the cup final yesterday, he came on as a substitute due to injuries and was put in at right back of a back four. And um, the job was back to the wall the whole game, man. Um, we had a sending off in like the 60th, the, the 55th minute or something like that. So for like half an hour, 35 minutes, it was back to the wall. And uh, a lot of it was coming down Wraith's left side, so his side. And I thought he dealt with everything really well. Um, he got blocks in where possible. He was putting his body on the line. Um, I thought his work rate was good as well. A few last-ditch tackles going down the, the wing as well. So, listen, I like to- I like Sparrow. I do. I think he's, a- I think he's got decent potential. Um, from what I've seen here, his best position is right wing back or right back of a back four. Um, he could play in midfield I think at some point but again like I said I don't know if it's just the physicality or the, the pace of the game up here or whatever but whenever he's done that he's not kind of put his foot in it uh, put like put a marker down so um, I like Tom Sparrow man just in how he's settling in by the way he was at the pub and he was at the he was out last night with all the fans so he's settling in brilliantly man um, all the players all seem to really like him he's getting on really well with the fans I said he was out last night with all of us so um Aye, not you know, everybody was saying how good a guy that he was. So, listen, he's a good player, man. He's a good boy. So it sounds like he's really settling in up there, then, uh, Mike. <laughs> yeah, it sounds a bit of an alcoholic. No, I'm joking. He's just, he's, <laughs> he, he, he likes a bit of a beer, but again, he's he's. A, he sounds like a proper lad to me. Like he's take making the most of his uh, you know his advantages. I think they mentioned him again. We talked about you know the the audio bits and and whatnot from the club, but you know I think they they did mention. I think it was uh, Ricky Martin who mentioned about him going out there and and learning and making the most of things. So. Yeah, that's when we talk about our young players going out. A lot of them, unfortunately, have gone out and not played or not performed or got injured. Obviously, in Tom Edwards' case and stuff like that. But Tom seems to be making the most of it. So let's see if he's one who comes back or he's one of those people who we invest and sell on. Time will tell. Mm, could be the making of him, Ben. Could be, could be the the, uh, the loney, loan spell he just needs. Who needs Keanu Hoover for six million quid when you can have this kid? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this is it. Isn't it? We've, we've got we could be stacked at right wing, but we could have Tom Sparrow, Tom Edwards, uh, Keanu Hoover. We could have Dijon Sterling. We could, you know, and when they're all injured by the end of September, we'll be putting Ben Wilmot out there, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that that's encouraging news on Tom. Um, Probably pretty similar to what we've seen in the sort of the youth setup here, and that he started out as a central midfielder, and the club decided maybe it was you know they could his attributes and you know what he was good at could be suited at right wing back. They put him there, and his his career you know he, he blossomed in that position in the under 23s for Stoke, and worked his way into the first team, in and out of the first team. But yeah, hopefully this uh, this spell away can give him some great valuable experience. Um, just to catch up with also talking under 18s uh, under 21s and that under 18s drew 1-1 last week away at Middlesbrough Adam Watson's injury time equaliser rest grew to point there uh, they are away at Leeds on Saturday so 12pm kickoff. 
and also they also play Newcastle next Friday. So Good Friday, they're at home to Newcastle. It's a 1pm kickoff at Clayton Wood. Uh, the under 21s now their last game was a very comprehensive 6-1 away win at Derby so Jacob Holly Wilkinson and Douglas James Taylor both scored braces uh, whilst there was goals for a trialist forward and Dara McGuinness um, whereas this week uh, oh, that game actually by the way was 0-0 at half time and ended 6-1 <laughs> at full time <laughs> um, this week they are at home to Leeds so that's going to take place at Nantwich Town kick off 7pm uh, and that's on Friday it's obviously Friday the 31st so if you're listening to this on, res- on release date it'll be tonight um, yeah we're playing Leeds at Nantwich Town uh, the women's so the women's last game was a 2-1 home defeat to Fylde um, so we were, we went into the lead for half time with a goal from Miskiel, Nuda Miskiel. Um, but yeah, two second half goals from Fylde turned the game round and they were left with all the points. Uh, this week is a very big game for the women, actually. They are at home to West Brom and Sunday, 2 pm kickoff. And uh, when we say at home, it is at the Bet365 Stadium this match. So, yeah, it is actually at home, the home of the club. <laughs> um, so, yeah, big game. They're hoping for a record crowd. Um, so, yeah, anyone who's free Sunday afternoon, get yourself down to the Bet365 and cheer on the uh, cheer on the ladies to hopefully uh, three points against our Midlands rivals, West Brom. I think that's about it for that one. Uh, so let's now move on to uh, Coventry and let's get three more points on the board this weekend. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. So, Coventry Cities. Now, we have played them 69 times. We have 29 victories, 10 draws, 30 defeats. At Coventry, we've played them 34 times with 10 wins, 6 draws and 18 defeats. Um... Coventry's home form has them ninth in the league, having got 33 points from their 19 home games, whereas Stokes' away form would put them eighth in the away table with 25 points from their 19 visits. Uh, the last five games are both teams in banging form, so Coventry are sixth in the in the uh, form table with nine points from the last five games, whereas Stoke are a point worse off uh, and in eighth place in that table. Um, so, games at Coventry, three of Stoke's last six visits to Coventry have ended nil-nil. Um, however, we have only failed to score in five away games this season. So, that's a pretty good record. Percentage-wise, that is the second best season we've had in the last 15 years. Um 
in fact, the best season was last year, which was surprised me really because there was only four games last season, the four away games that we didn't score in in the entire campaign. So, uh, yeah, it was interesting. If we uh, if we win, we will have eight away wins. Um, in this century, we have only 2005, 2006 when we had 10 and 2007, 8 when we had 9 if we achieved uh, more than 8 away victories in a, in a season. Uh, our four game unbeaten run that we were on is our longest of this season. Uh, the last time we were five unbeaten was late 2020. Uh, we're currently one point worse off than we were at this stage last season, uh, but we are one and five points better off than the first two seasons after we were relegated. Um, a rather depressing fact is that of Stokes forwards, uh, Jacob Brown, seven games for Coventry, Tyrese Campbell, three games, uh, Dwight Gale once, Nick Powell's five games, and Will Smallbones, one game. They've got 17 appearances versus Coventry between them and not a single victory. <laughs> um, okay. And in them 17 is only Jacob Brown with his one goal versus Coventry is the only player to score out of that lot. So, yeah, we'll end on a depressing one there. I do apologise for that. Records <laughs> uh, are there to be broken, Dan. We've, we've talked about this before. Yeah, I think, um, obviously with them, you'd imagine... Campbell's all will have all been with Stoke. Uh, Smallbones would have been with Stoke. Gales was with Stoke this season. Probably a lot of Nick Powell's games would have been with Stoke. So it just shows that we haven't really been Coventry very much in recent times. Um, moving on to the ref. So it's Sam Barrett is the referee. So he's only his fourth championship match that he's ever refed. His first was actually a Stoke victory uh, when we won away at Wigan in November. Uh, he's got 36 games in total this season. He's given 99 yards out, three reds and seven penalties. Uh, he did also ref us in, when we beat Leighton Orient 2-0 in the FA Cup last season. Uh, but he's never refed Coventry. So he's only been in the EFL since 2020-2021 season. Um, and it seems that you know, they've got quite high hopes on him. They're sort of fast-tracking him through. Seems to be doing pretty well and uh, climbing the ladder very quickly. So hopefully he sticks in a good performance on Saturday and we don't even notice he's there because that's really what you want from your ref, isn't it? <laughs> and you mentioned Reds, Dan. Please tell me you've done the research I've asked you to do on when, when we last got a season well, without a Red. I've gone as far back as 1994. <laughs> and right. there is not a season there that we didn't have a red card. <laughs> wow. The least, do you, do you, I found one season when we had one. Yeah. Do you know what year that was? Um, I, I, Ask Ben, because I think Se- I know the player you're on about. Season we went down? Yeah. One, one red card, Charlie Adam. Yeah. Which says it, all about that. says it all about that team, doesn't it? No fight. No, couldn't even bother get themselves sent off. At least we were fair. Yeah, yeah just stepped aside. Come on, lads. You come through. You have a shot. Go on. They could have at least given us another point uh, if uh, for being well-behaved. <laughs> No, no, it, you you couldn't make that case with Charlie Adam on your side, could you? No. <laughs> maybe, maybe this is what we were going for. Maybe we were because if we were fighting relegation, if we tie on points and 
goal difference and goal score does it not go to fair play so maybe that's what we were going for fine margins or maybe Hughes was like I will get us into Europe I'm going to campaign to rehash rehash the Intertoto Cup where you can get in with your fair play record excellent <laughs> um, so yeah so you've had the stats you've had the ref the game itself um now I think I think well actually what we'll do, we've been in touch with Glenn um, from a commentary podcast. This is his uh, his views on the game. Let's have a listen to this, and then we can go from there. Hi, my name's Glenn. I'm part of the Skyview Fans TV team. Um, it's been a very interesting season for Coventry City. Um, if it had been uh, recorded by Netflix or Amazon Prime, it probably would have had massive ratings. Um, we had a great pre-season. Didn't win in any of our first seven games. Hardly played at home due to a problem with the pitch. Had to sell one of our key defenders to fund relaying of said pitch. And terrible luck with injuries, losing Callum O'Hare and other key players throughout the season. Um, but we kind of hit a good run of form. We went and won 2-0 at Stoke, thanks to a wonderful goal scored by Gus Hamer in a 2-0 win. And um, kind of summarised our our style of play. We kind of kept teams to minimal chances and then came on strong second half, usually keeping a clean sheet and scoring one or two goals that usually proved decisive. Uh, we kind of then hit a bit of a dip after we come back after the international break. We lost some key players. Carl McFadstein got injured. Callum O'Hare got injured. We also lost um, youngster Fabio Tavares and Matty Godden um, with injuries. Thankfully, Matty Godden and Carl McFadstein are back fit. Callum O'Hare is out for the foreseeable future, as is Fabio Tavares. But obviously, recently, we've got Ben Sheaf back after an injury and the midfield trio of Ben Sheaf, Gus Hamer and youngster Josh Eccles seems to have given us that little bit of stability in midfield uh, that allows us to play two up front in either Matty Godden or Victor Jokerez or Tyler Walker. Um, I personally think it'll probably be Jokerez and Walker on Saturday play against Stoke. That gives us the solid base to build from and Hamer can use his creative magic. He had a hand in pretty much all the goals we scored away at Blackpool in a 4-1 win before the international break. We've also now got the great news of that Sheaf has signed a new contract. Hopefully Victor Jokres will sign a new contract. Um, the great, we've signed Luke Manali on loan from Burnley. He's been a masterstroke. He's one of the best defenders that we've had in a long time. And our goalkeeper is now on 17 clean sheets for the season. So ultimately it's looking quite positive. Um, the game against Stoke kind of is a must-win game for us. Um, there's a lot of teams in the playoff picture who are kind of playing each other. Um, so really we need to win the game to kind of hopefully... I think there's a scenario where we can go six and into the playoffs depending on other teams' results. It's a massive opportunity. Despite the injuries we've got, obviously we've had the likes of Jamie Allen and Casey Palmer out, Callum O'Hare. We've still managed to get a team together that finds a way to win. Um, so hopefully I'm going to go for a 3-1 cover win. It's our Legends Day, so we have loads of former players there and we normally perform well and score a few goals on that day. Last season's Legends Day, we beat Sheffield United 4-1 with arguably our best performance of the season. So um, I'll be more happy with similar thing, but I think a 1-0 win or anything will be good. Um, I think the players that's from Stoke that we've definitely got to watch out for is former Cov Loney, Dujon Sterling, who's always been impressive. 
Um, I'll be interested to see how rumoured Coventry City target left-back Morgan Fox plays against us, if he plays. And the two midfielders that I've always liked from Stoke, but I doubt Lewis Baker will play because he's been out of the team recently. But I've always been impressed with Lewis Baker. And I think Josh Laurent is arguably one of the most underrated midfielders in the Championship. So I think we have carved be delighted if we win a draw isn't the end of the world but i don't see that we're going to have any chance of the playoffs if we lose the game cheers cheers glenn for that and um before we get into our preview we'll just hear from the main man himself graham mcgarry welcome back you potter's predictors after the international break you're getting ready now for a trip down the m6 to get to the Rico Arena and take on Coventry City. A team, of course, who came away from the Bet365 earlier this season with the three points. So a bit of a revenge mission on for Alex Neal and his players. And, of course, Stoke still looking to continue that good run of results in the league and move closer to those mid-table positions in the Championship. They head for Rico Arena, having had that break, and uh, will we welcome now the football that's coming back between now and the end of the season. And I'm pretty sure the targets have been set by the management team for the players to respond to and I think they can go and win at the Rico Arena against a side that is really overachieving and has done exceptionally well in the championship this season in the Sky Blues who still have an outside chance of course of making the playoffs but by five o'clock tonight that dream might be over Coventry nil, Stoke 1 Cheers Graham much better prediction from Graham than Glenn uh, 1-0 to Mighty Potters, we'll take that. So, um, going back into, obviously, the first bit of audio that we heard there, interesting start to the season for Coventry. I mean, I myself, I'll be honest, I thought they were doomed when they were bottom yeah. of the league and, and you know, six, seven games in. They were, and they've done amazing, really, to turn around. Mark Robbins showing once again, I think, what a top manager he probably is, especially in the EFL. Um what are they? I mean, just fire some things off here. Giocares is the second top scorer in the championship. Uh, 18 league goals, 19 in total. He's got six in his last eight games for Coventry. Uh, they're nine games unbeaten. Uh, but before, to counteract that, actually, before that, they lost uh, five out of their eight games before that run. So, you know, they, although they're on a good run at the minute, not so long ago that they were on a pretty bad one. <laughs> um so some of the things to you, Mike, for we, and Ben. Uh, goals from set pieces. Stoke got the fourth most in the division with twelve. Coventry twenty second in the, in the with only six goals from set pieces. Um, but on the flip side of that, only Reading, who scored seven, uh, have scored more penalties than Coventry's five this season. So a few things there to digest. Giocares. He's the main danger, anti Mike. He's the one we've got. Yes. You've you've got to be looking at. And similar to our last away game when we went to Middlesbrough, uh, we had the, the Akpom, didn't we? Tuba Akpom, the the league's most you know on fire and top goal scorer. Uh, he managed to score, but we managed to get a point. If we've got to keep Yokares quiet, aren't we? If we want to get anything from from the Rico. Yeah, it's it's as well. Yeah, it's as simple as that, mate. Uh, even how to put it any other way yeah we we keep him quiet we've got a chance I know we said about Akpom and he's, he's still scored um, so 
arguably, I think you keep them quiet. We're fine. Their home form still isn't great. I mean, when you, when you, you know, they seem to be pretty decent away from home. They you know they score. They score well, but when you look at their home form, like, like you said, you know, they they beat Sunderland two one. Well, okay, it's only Sunderland, big deal. Uh, back on the twenty fifth of Feb, and then before that, they they beat Millwall. So their last credible home win, if you want to kind of call it that, uh, was against Millwall on the fourteenth of February. You know, they've played at home since then um, a few times and and haven't won. So I, I'm not I'm not worried about Coventry at all. Um, and I know it's probably a bit strange considering where they are versus kind of where we are, but uh, I I don't think there's anything much to worry about. Yeah, they beat Black, Blackpool, big deal. They beat Wigan, big deal. Uh, Coventry are nothing special. Huddersfield certainly before that aren't. So yeah, they've had a bit of good form. They picked up some points, but they picked up points in games where you would expect them. It's been, a, I think it's been at least a month, month and a half since they actually came across a half-decent team. And I would put us in that category. We are a half decent team. Uh, we're not scared of anybody. We're not afraid to put you know our stamp on a game and go at a team. I do not see us losing this game, but part of me thinks I need to put us down as a loss because Graham is still top of the leaderboard. I think, and I need to be strategic about it all. Um, but it's a very simple question. Plenty of games yeah. left yet. <laughs> yeah, pl- pl- plenty of games. Uh, but yeah. That was a very long way of saying, yes, keep him quiet and we'll be fine. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it, it, I think they are, they have other dangerous players, but he is he's the catalyst for everything they're doing well at the minute. Yeah, I mean, um, Ben, I mean, just just asking you now, I mean, Glenn mentioned about you know, they've got to win, otherwise they can sort of forget about the playoffs. I mean, that kind of pressure can work in two different ways can't it it can fire a team up but it could also it can also crush crush a side that kind of pressure yeah it can and it sort of makes it that game of who scores first wins particularly when it's us as well you know how we've been over the last few years um, and Mike's not scared of Coventry I am um, just because we've not got a good record against them, even m- <laughs> knocking Mark Hughes' Stoke out of the cup a few years ago, and they were League Two then, I think. Um, we just don't play well against Cov, um, and I think they have got some good players. Um, not sure if Gus Haim is fit, but he's a good player. Uh, I think Ben Chiefs signed a new contract this week, so they'll be buzzing with him signing again because he's a good player as well. Um, some handy defenders, and I, I think we were after one of them, uh, if not last year, the year before. And then you mentioned uh, Jokerez. Yeah, he's 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 a proper player. Um, he's the sort of player that you wish you know we'd have signed a couple of years ago. Um, you, uh, when he signed for them on loan, I don't think he lit up the world at all. Um, and then we uh, Coventry signed him the same season that we signed um, Abdelazima from Brighton on loan I think um, if only that was the other way around we might have done better with Gokrez um, yeah because he came from Brighton as well didn't having he? said that Yes, he did, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Interesting facts about Yakarez. Um his girlfriend plays for Juventus. So oh. yeah. Mm. Um anyway, sorry, getting sidetracked. There I I have a two pronged plan of stopping Yakarez. Um one, um I think our centre backs can actually deal with him. Um he's a very physical player but he's also a very mobile one and I think we're quite fortunate that 
Phil Jagielka's been knocked down a back in order a little bit because I think he'd have a nightmare against Jokeres. Um I think Twanzebi and Wilmot will be able to deal with him. Um, but I guess that could come back to bite me, which we'll see. Um, the other prong in my attack is um, I, and this is true, I know Victor Jokeres' landlord pretty well. Um, so wouldn't it be a shame if he had no hot water, no electricity, lost his keys for the week? Um, Slash tyres. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> look, look, just... just hey, you're not you know, criminal damage here, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't want to get in trouble here, but just wouldn't it be a shame if, if, if he was just a little bit, you know, a, a little bit lethargic come Saturday? Mind not on the game. Yes, exactly. There's Ben just doing some like proper good thinking. I'm thinking slashing tires, um, you know, blinking uh, laxatives in his drinks. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So when he runs, he's he's worried about things coming out the wrong end. I'm thinking like going to the next level, and there's you just turning off water. So you're on about criminal damage and spiking, and there's me just like (laughs) just making him a little bit cold and hungry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, dragging this before we get arrested. If he if he don't, if he's not fit for the weekend, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's quite worrying now. Yeah, something yeah. goes wrong. Um, dragging it right back into the game very quickly. Um, I actually was I've been quite impressed with Coventry when we've played them in the last couple of years. And I think they epitomise the, the sides that we really have struggled with and that they they seem to be mobile right the way through the team. Then then they've got sm- like small, nippy, mobile players and they cover the ground well. The movement off the ball is excellent. And I remember watching them and thinking, I, I, just a, like a few times when, when we've played them in recent years, and you think... These are exactly the type of team that we hate playing against. I don't know if you, if you agree with that. Uh, yeah, I, I I know what you're saying. Um, I think they they are the product of recruiting well to suit a system rather than recruiting, you know, just because you've heard of people. Um, you know, they... Um, Apart from Jokeres, maybe they don't have any superstars. O'Hare's injured, but they manage him without him. Um, and look, he's a good manager as well. I think Dan touched on it. Um, Mark Robbins is a good coach and is able to get the best out of players that they've signed for very little. Um, I think they sold uh, their centre-back to Blackburn um, for not very much because they didn't sign him for very much. Um uh, and you know, if we'd have recruited in a similar way a couple of years ago, maybe we'd be where Coventry are now. Um, it's a shame. But another thing, and they're probably riding a bit of a wave. So you know, what can, what can you say? But um, ask ask any fan, whether it be um, Stoke or any other neutral fan, if you're looking into this game, um, Coventry have, have one of the best home sports in the league. Um, that must drive the players on massively, um, particularly when they're going for a playoff push. So, you know, um, is the pressure going to pile on them? Who knows? The player, the, the fans might be able to drag the players over the line for this one. Um, and like I say, Stoke don't 
don't do all that well at Coventry usually. So yeah, I I I can see us coming unstuck, but then still playing well, very well. So and Alex Neal has proven. To to be a good tactician no matter what sort of team he's playing against so they might well play into our hands a little bit being a bit more passing around the back than other teams you know they are a bit more like a Swansea a Sunderland um, a Norwich who we were able to press high against um, we'll see you there yeah it's funny you should mention like the home support because I mean they were starved of any sort of success for so many years Um in, the, in respect of, I think I saw some really crazy stats a few years ago that they hadn't finished. I think they hadn't finished in the top six or eight of a division in like 35 years because they spent so long in the Premier League and then they dropped down to the Championship but automatically struggled. Then they went into League One and struggled. Then they went into League Two and struggled. <laughs> and it was like, because obviously I think it was like financially related, a lot of it. And it, they literally, like I say, not finished in the top six rate of a division in like, like I say, 35, 40 years. I can't remember the exact, exact amount it was. Um, but since then, obviously Robinson's, Robin's come in 2017, I believe. And they've just been going from a bit like Luton in recent times, strength to strength to strength every year, and they up, 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 up. So obviously that that's it. They now hit the bottom and on that upward curve. But you think obviously them supporters, they're going to be up for it. They like I say they get behind them, and they're probably, you know, they've been saving up all this sort of energy and going for like I say getting back to where the club was for so many years. Um, after being you know, suffering for such a long time as well, Mike. Yeah, I think all, all clubs go through peaks and troughs, but you'd say that they've had more troughs than peaks, peaks to be honest. Um, I was going to say, that's, it's a pretty, <laughs> pretty big dive. <laughs> yeah, but again, you know, they they seem to have a good a good man in charge. They seem to have sorted out their the off the field bits to to a certain level, and yeah. I'm with you. What you said earlier on, I thought Coventry were down and out. Uh, I don't know. I remember what midweek game it was. I was coming back from, but I remember it was early on the season. Looked at the table and they were miles clear there. They couldn't couldn't play games and all the business. And I, I just reeled them out. So all credit to them because they've turned it round. Um, but I will go back to what I said before. I don't think we're going to lose. Um, I been looking at the fixtures they've had no difficult home t- home fixtures in theory on paper for a long time they will face a different team this coming weekend so i know ben you're a bit more um, realistic probably uh, but i'm gonna go for a very hard for one one draw <laughs> i'd like to say win but I need, I need some points to steal off graham so i'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to go one one draw uh, okay, well, um, I'm just going to give you my team now. From uh, obviously from the game against Norwich, it's going to make the one change. Dwight Gale comes back in for me. Uh, Morgan Fox drops down to the bench. A um, few changes that obviously brings is that Brown goes on to the right wing, but right wing uh, Hoover drops back into right back and Sterling switches over to the left. Um, so yeah, Bonham and goal, Hoover right back, Sterling left back, Twanzebe, Wilmot, Pearson, Smallbone, Loren in the midfield, Brown on the right, Campbell on the left, and Gale down the middle. Um, do we think we'll see Nick Powell on the bench? Um, if he's fit, 
and you know we can only obviously have five lone players in there, so we might want some creativity on the bench. Then yeah, absolutely, he's got to be on the bench. He does not start in this team at all. That he does not start another game all season for me. Um, he doesn't. He, he's not earned it. Uh, he's again. This is like, he's not earned it, mate. I, I've 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 lost me we rag with him. Basically, I'm fed up of him. So as far as I'm right. concerned. Yeah, that means this was the, the substitute. This was the subs bench against Norwich. Baker, Fielding, Holland, Wilkinson, Jagielka, Taylor, Thompson, Tymon. Yeah. Do you not think Nick Powell would get on, or would him give us a different option that isn't on that bench? Well, no, just I'd have him on the bench. He's probably going to bring him on in more of a more for Dwight Gale, I'd say, more than striker. Anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I know I'm being a bit harsh, and it's it's for, more for comedic value, if you like. But um, like, yeah, I, of course you want him on the bench. He's he's an option there, but um, this is the last season I want to see Nick Powell on the team sheet. What about yourself, Ben? I mean, slightly off topic, but would would you like to see Nick Powell giving a contract extension? Do not say yes, Ben. You've more common <laughs> sense. You got more brains in your head than that. Now, now, yeah. <laughs> Um, let Laurent speak. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm in Dan's camp of when Nick Powell plays, he is. Which is never. Uh, well, that, that is the problem, isn't it? He, he he makes such a difference. He genuinely does. And I think, again, and if if he was fit for, um, you know, the last couple of months, what. You know, whilst Dwight Gale needed a rest, hell, we might have turned those draws into wins. I, I, I think he's capable of doing that. You know, um, he's capable of playing small bones position. Always capable of playing Dwight Gale's position. Um, I, <laughs> the thing is, you almost want to say what Dan said before. You want to give him a preseason. Um, and I reckon an Alex Neal preseason is a Tony Pulis preseason. And I reckon given a chance, you would probably see a much fitter, healthier, hungrier Nick Powell come next year. But I can also see Mike Spot in a case of, you know, it's wages being consumed, it's a squad place being consumed, and, you know, some players are going to be looking at what Nick Powell's earning and going, he's not playing, and yet I'm earning less than him, and I play every week. So... Is that money best spent elsewhere? I think he's 28, 29 now, so his peak years are probably behind him. I think the only person who can really make a proper call on... Because he's got the quality. It's just about he's got the fitness. And the only people, I suppose, that, that can make that decision is Alex Neal and his physios. And that, and I think we've got to trust them. He had about 18 months with, without really an injury. Yeah. But probably the first I, time in his career, by the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't be wrong. I totally see where you're coming from because I get desperately disappointed when he's injured. Like again, he comes back for five minutes and he's injured again. I don't know what it is that yeah. triggers it. There's definitely something, but if we can't get to the bottom of it, as sad as it, it sounds, yeah, because I don't think we'll get small bone either next season. We probably need two top quality offensive fielders. Yeah, and please don't misunderstand me. I, I do. You spot when Nick Powell is fit, 
he is a great asset. Uh, I've seen him score some great goals and drag us through games. It is just to the point where I've said previously, you get him in, he does great for a few weeks. You start to get a team working with him and fluid and all this business. And then he goes and gets injured and he cocks everything up again. So that that's just what has done me head in. We don't need that distraction anymore. And you're right, for the money he's on, probably probably close to 20 grand a week, most likely. Uh, we can find a better player who can do that. You know, just, more than just because he, the thing is, just because he's on that now, I don't think anyone else is offering him twenty grand a week at this stage. No, no I don't think with they this. are either. So, and I Stoke think, will know that as well. On top of that, I think what I've been more frustrated by with Stoke, and maybe our hands have been tied, is that we've been reliant on Nick Powell. Like, think back, you know, last year and then earlier this season too, when Smallbone was ineffective and we didn't have any other offensive midfielders it was either the nick powell or nothing if we can have you know maybe a first choice attack midfielder and nick powell as a cheaper option in there like if he's fit great if he's not we're not going to miss him like right now fine if if you know if the money's there and if the squad place is there fine um but otherwise, yes, of course. I think I'd rather see probably a, uh, uh, I'd rather see DiMaggio in that sense. You know, he can play that number ten role. So maybe that is the more natural step. Um, but I, like I say, I think there's only one person who's really going to be able to make a uh, an intelligent call on him. To be honest, I think one thing I'll just say, just just to just to throw this out there to people to think on is obviously you know we love Tyrese Campbell on this podcast and he obviously said to us that his best strike partner was Stephen Fletcher now Nick Powell Alex Neal looks like he, he tries to push him further and further forward when he does play him could Nick Powell do what Stephen Fletcher did for Tyrese Campbell in that he, Stephen Fletcher was very quick he had very quick feet he was full of flicks and tricks and he was a physical presence as well could that partnership be the same I think it, because like with Dwight and Gale we've almost been playing a false nine like Gale doesn't get in the box and well even if he does it's pointless uh, but, but he's been linking <laughs> up the plays been dropping deep he's been um, he's been bringing the wingers into play and they've been the ones scoring the goals Nick Powell could be our false nine in that sense. I think he's certainly he's certainly the profile of player we've got to go for if he does leave. Certainly, hundred percent. Okay, so uh, by the way, I predicted one-one myself as well. Josh Lorenz going to score, and we're going to draw one-one against Coventry. <laughs> That's what I um, think. Tyrese Campbell for me, mate. Okay. Um, any changes from my side, Ben, or are you? Uh, you thinking pretty much just the one change, or are you keeping it as it was? No, I I, I think you're probably right. To be honest, um, I would really like to see Josh Tyrone get back in the team between now and the end of the season, particularly if we're not going to sign Keanu Hoover. I think we're getting to that stage in the season now where we must have an inkling whether we be able to sign someone like him. Same with Smallbone, in a sense, it's hard. But if we're not going to sign him. And yes, we want to push away towards the, you know, the upper echelons of this league. But if they ain't going to be in next season, why, why play him? Hoover especially. Yeah. Like, 
I, th- I think he's done tremendously for us, but I would rather see Sterling is probably a more realistic signing on the right and timing on the left if it means that we're going to keep them both next season. Because I think we could end up losing Josh Tyron in the summer if we're not careful, which might be part of the strategy. Who knows? You know, he, he is probably um, in the Joe Basic camp of, you know, worth a fair bit of money. Um, and and we know that clubs are after him. So maybe that is part of the, the plan that maybe that's why we're going to have more money to play with because we sell a couple of good players that are on the bench that we don't need maybe Lewis Baker too I, I don't want either of them to go to be honest I think they're great players um, but that might be the strategy it's just funny you should say that because that that comment there about not maybe it's getting to that time of season where the loanies sort of if you're not saying we're a long term future here why are you sort of playing them at this point when we've got nothing really to play for? I did actually have that thought myself during this long international break and I've completely forgot about it until you just said it. And my thought was maybe is it time that we, if Smallbones, it was when the news came out that, that Southampton manager had said Smallbone, uh, he had a future at St Mary's and he wanted him back. And I thought, well, why would we play him then? We need to see if Pearson, Baker, Loren works as a three-man midfield just as well as Smallbone Loren and Pearson does. So, it, are we like you say, are we now at that stage now, should we be maybe bringing Baker into the side just to give him a game, running games with Josh Loren and then Pearson sitting and seeing if he can rediscover the form that he had in the second half of last season and obviously the beginning of this season? I would, I would, yeah, mate, I agree. I, I would keep Lewis Baker. I think he, as much as what he can offer, um, his attitude and his, I think his leadership is definitely something we 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 need. We, we you know we need that type of personality in there. Um, I think it'd be very interesting to see whether he's captain next year. That should be very very interesting to see. Um, I don't think he will. I think it will be a big call for Alex to make, but. Um, it might tell us a lot about where he is in in the pecking order, I think, as well. But yeah, for me, we, you know, if we want to build a strong team, and that is including you know a strong bench, uh, Lewis Baker has a place somewhere. So yeah, absolutely need to keep the likes of him. So would you be dropping Smallburn out to yeah. now to bring Baker um, in? I don't think I'd do it yet, if I'm honest. Um, I want us to try and cement a top half finish if we can, and I think Smallbone has been really solid and is he does more than just run around, which is what he was doing earlier on the season. So no, give him a few more games, and you know maybe the last three or four at the, at the most. I think it's that thing, Ben, isn't it, of, of doing it before other teams start switching off and games are actually sort of played properly <laughs> and mm. that people aren't on the beach it's getting him in those kind of games to have a look at him in this sort of you know this position in this midfield to see if it works but what's Alex Neil been like since he's been here he doesn't care about the opposition or he does he he he, he, he doesn't think of what the opposition is going to necessarily be like on the day um, or, or he doesn't like to play into that well what he does like to do is consider how the opposition play generally and come up with a team who he thinks can counteract their style of play so this is certainly the time in the season to experiment see whether that you know 
rule or situation can come true. Um, there'll, there'll be time where a slightly deeper midfield overall will work better. There'll be a time where so, a more attacking fullback like Josh Tymon will, will be more beneficial. Uh, there'll be time where a five-back might be beneficial and we might see Connor Taylor back in the team. And um, what's your prediction then, Mike, for the weekend? I'm going to make it full hour, so 1-1. One, 1-1? One. One, one. Who's, who's netting for us? Um, Dujon Sterling, why not? Oh, nice, nice. Like it. Screamer, Andy Griffin style. In the fog. <laughs> In the April fog. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Mike, uh, we're going to round off with a quiz in a minute. It's a very quick fire quiz. But before that, I'm going to hand over to you, Mike. You have got some names on a wheel, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, for the purpose of obviously of the fact that this is an audio pod, not a video pod, uh, Ben, can you confirm for me, looking at your teams, mate, that you can see a, a, a big wheel with a load of names? I can. It's just funny because they all say Michael Stockley. I, I was just about to say the same thing. <laughs> hey, come on. We're trying to make this nice and independent. If you keep putting my name on here 17 times, then... Um, but yeah, we've had, you know what? We had, we had a, a large amount of people that have uh, have done it. So a mixture of Twitter, a mixture of Facebook and bits like that. Um, so I will... Uh, I'm not going to sing you a tune, but Ben, I've just clicked spin. It's spinning, and you can announce the name that comes up. I will not announce it. It is Carissa Rigby from Facebook, I think. Please, Correct. I'm sorry if I've um, butchered your name there, Carissa, <laughs> but I do I do try to pronounce them correctly. We'll see. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you very much. I think uh, that was somebody that, uh, if I remember rightly, was was tagged in on the on the Facebook group. So, um, yeah, Carissa, you'll have to fight it out with the person who uh, referred you, uh, but either way, you've you've got the you've got the book. Maybe you can share it uh, with, with the other two people that were tagged in. You never know. Um, so yeah, <laughs> thanks for that. What, Maybe like we can half the book each, or half the book each. Yeah, like yeah. start like a little book club. <laughs> we can start off with Simon's books, then we got obviously uh, we got Liam's books as well. So we'll, we'll get a little book club going at Stoke. How about that? Right, um, Dan, going for the quiz, I assume. Yes, so we have a Coventry-related quiz. Ten questions for you. So uh, you obviously working together. Who can you name the three people involved in the row that marred Stokes 2-1 win at the recently opened Rico Arena in 2005-6? Ah, uh, see, for me, football didn't exist before 2010, so what's the point? I don't know. Who started the row? Who, who were the three people involved in it? Well, I've... God, obviously I've got Liam Lawrence, Fuller, and Griffin in me, but I don't, I don't think that's right. Oh, you, oh. You, you're thinking, you're I'm thinking, thinking you're on the wrong pitch. one, Ivana. Is it yeah, right? Is that boss camp? Oh, boss camp. Um, Jan, Jan Conan, I think. Jan de Conan, and, yeah. And uh, John Rudge. Yes. Yes. Oh, I remember this because I read Liam's book. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> how dare you come down for the director's bus and give me advice? <laughs> and how dare you go and tell him what to do? <laughs> I don't quit. I quit. No, I don't quit. <laughs> he had so, some all right, amazing quotes, didn't he? He, he did. My favourite one was. 
my favourite was on Radio Stoke, and we sort of signed a striker from Andalet, and it fell through because they couldn't read really personal terms. And obviously, they asked him the next day. So you know, it is such a such a body coming. No, he's a shitty guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're, you're live on Radio Stoke. You on? Oh, yes, and what? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, number two, uh, which substitute scored a late winner in 2008, sparking an iconic Stoke goal celebration on our way to promotion? Liam Lawrence. Yes, that's one way he ripped his top off. And even the uh, most heterosexual men in the crowd were like, oh, hello, <laughs> got a few abs going now, you son. <laughs> but, oh, Only if you're with Stoke persuasion, the Coventry fans weren't so yeah. <laughs> Um, question number three who scored a screamer barely visible to most in the Potters 1-0 win at the Brit in 2006 Go on, in the middle of that oh, question Andy would... Griffin yes that's the one apologies some of these questions are quite uh, before your time Ben um, that's alright don't worry I, 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 I did actually know that one but I thought I'd give Mike the tap in <laughs> Uh, this one's a little bit tougher see if you remember this question number four who was sent off for violent conduct three minutes after that goal was scored Stoke player Uh, Fuller if you're going to take a guess it is Ricardo Fuller in that team (laughs) Uh, I think somebody I think it might have been Elliot Ward maybe give him a bit of a dig and he stamped on his foot if I remember Mm. And the ref, and he was like, "You couldn't see me, ref. Who the fuck? Like, you sent me off." <laughs> uh, question number five: Which Stoke manager was sacked hours after a two-one FA Cup loss to Coventry in two thousand eighteen? Sparky. It was indeed. Question number six: uh, Which Potters player scored a penalty to draw us level in that game? Uh, Charles. It was yes, Charlie Adam. Uh, question number seven: Who has scored the last two goals that we have scored as a team versus Coventry? So the last two goals against Coventry for Stoke have been scored by the same player. One was on the final day of last season. The other was the last goal in a three-two defeat the season before. Both at about three six five. If that that made any sense to you at all? You know, yeah. Um, I was there, so I should know, but I've forgotten. I, is it? Is it Nick Powell? It's not Nick Powell. It uh, is another nowadays injury-prone midfielder who's still at the club. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, of course, Sam Clucas. Yes, Sam Clucas. Wow. Oh. Uh, question number eight which former Stoke player and former Stoke manager's son also played for Coventry after a spell in the Potteries now you see we've had quite a few Stoke managers who've had sons going to play for Stoke haven't we manager's son Oh, oh, it's not. Go on, you may as well. Gun- well, Gunnison rings a bell, but I don't. I don't think it's that hot. I'll give you that. Done. It was Bjarni Good Johnson. Good Johnson. Uh, yeah. uh, yes, it was. He went. He left Stoke. Uh, he went abroad. He went playing Germany, I believe, and then 
I didn't really get on very well over there and came back. Uh, Coventry brought him back. Uh, Eric Black brought him back to Coventry. Play, he was playing really well. And then Peter Reid took over and he never played for him. There's another Stoke connection there, isn't it? <laughs> uh, question number nine. Uh, now, this is as far as I can see because I'm not an encyclopedia on transfers. But the last player to transfer between these clubs was in 2003. It was a free transfer. He left Coventry for Stoke. Who was it? Hmm. Well, that would have been Pulisic, wouldn't it? I think. He was, an, he was actually another really injury-prone midfielder. <laughs> Seems to be, be everywhere. Um. An absolute game-changer on his day. Oh, come on, Mike. You were around then. Curly hair. Oh, John Eustace. Yes. And the tenth and final question. Stokes' 1-0 win at Coventry in 2003 left them needing one point from the last two games to seal survival. The game was won by a bizarre penalty. What happened? Now, I, I didn't expect you to know this at all, but when I was reviewing this, I thought, I'm going to have to put this in just so I can tell the story about what happened. <laughs> did it have to be retaken in some way? It didn't. Okay. Would I just tell you? Yes. <laughs> so, Chris Iwilumu, it Now, this, this Stoke lineup had seven defenders in it for a start. <laughs> <laughs> we had a seven-man defence. Then we had James O'Connor and Hookstrom midfielders, and Lee Mills played up front. We won a penalty. Terry Pulis decided to sub Lee Mills off and bring Chris Wilumu on to take the penalty. Um, first touch of the ball. He's, the keeper dives. It hits the post. Comes back. Hits the keeper on the back of the on the on his back and rolls very very slowly over the line and in. So Ulumu subbed on to take it, hit the post, hit the back of the keeper's back, and then say, slowly rolled over the line to give us a one nil win. And he'll be annoyed at that. He'll be annoyed at that because he wouldn't have got a starting bonus or a goal scoring bonus for that. <laughs> Despite literally winning the game. Yeah. <laughs> um so yes, that that concludes the quiz. Uh, very well done. Thank you. You did quite well there. Um, there was a couple of obscure questions, but yeah, did very well. And I think we've I think we've rabbited on for long enough now. I can see that the clock in the corner of the screen is hitting very neat. Well, just just got on two hours. So oh, God. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we love a good rabbit. Luckily, there's been quite a little bit of uh, funny bits to edit out of this for, for people. People won't have a clue. They'll just think it's nice and seamless, and it never is. We just make it seem that way. Um, why, why is my podcast say one hour fifteen? They said two hours. <laughs> Where's the rest yeah, of it? <laughs> that's because we do a lot of chatting crap. To be honest, um, but yeah, just to, just to reconfirm. Uh, so, Chris Rigby, uh, apologies, uh, but yeah, Chris Rigby, uh, you have won the book. So, uh, Chris actually was referred by Kim uh, Typhoon, I think it is, and Angela Heath was also copied in. So, unlucky with that one. Uh, ben, thank you for independently um, drawing that for us, mate. Appreciate it. We, you know, it's above board. Uh, ben was also not in the draw, so you can say that there was no bias on there. Uh, but we will be in touch, uh, Chris. Uh, and um, yeah, you can fight it out with Angela and Kim to have your boot club and share the book and all that business. Um, 
but yeah thank you to everybody who who got involved uh, there'll hopefully be some more coming up no doubt simon and you know liam i'm sure will be writing some more books about some other people so we'll get some more some more bits for you basically uh, yes, and just as I say, as we wrap up uh, next week, we podcast will be out on Thursday instead of Friday because it's Good Friday's the, the next game, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay, good. Um, well, Dan, thanks for for joining us as always. Always good to have you, uh, Ben. Thank you for 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 joining us again. Uh, we appreciate it. You're almost like Peter Crouch making those substitution uh, appearances. Um, you're not quite as tall, uh, but I'd say you're definitely better looking than Peter Crouch. So uh, you've oh, got something you. that he, that he doesn't make. So uh, yeah, thanks to both of you uh, and everybody. We will see you uh, next Thursday. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.